Hey, everybody, Tom and Keith with you. A tip of the cap to the Dunlap Champions Club, which allows us to bring Front Row Knowles to you via the podcast, commercial-free, each and every week. You know, one of the things that's interesting is we've now got a, a little bit of um, the season under the belt, and, and people are familiar with the Champions Club, uh, enjoying all the uh, club-level amenities, the food, the soft drinks, access to beer, wine, mixed drinks. Uh, you you, you got to check this place out. If you hadn't had a tour, Make sure you call 850-583-9066, line one. You can set up a tour. You can also call that number to buy your tickets. Uh, But it's something you should educate yourself about before you make the decision not to because I think once you get in there and look at it, you'll go, I want to. It's a a tremendous experience for sure. And you don't have to buy the the full season. You can do a half-season package, which uh, you can choose the Miami or Louisville games in any two of the other four games. Uh, so basically, you can spend three games in the Dunlap Champions Club, test drive it, sample it, figure out if it's for you. We encourage you to do so, and we thank them for their support. Now, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith back with you, which means we have crept one week closer to the start of the season. We're making progress. As I have predicted on previous episodes of this very program, I'm ready for the season to be here. We are are still in the point of the season where, uh, or preseason, where we don't get to see practice. We get to see guys stretch. And we make all kinds of assumptions about what this means based on who was lined up here and who was lined up where. And some of them could be true. Some of them could be 100% off base. And we just don't know. I'm ready to play a game. My dad's favorite expression in situations like this is we have entered the tunnel, tunnel rather, and we see light at the other end. We don't know if it's the other end of the tunnel or the train coming at us. Exactly. I thought tuntle was like a wildwood term there for a minute. We have we had a couple of those. Those were where those uh, turtles went in, the tuntle. You got one of those out at 27 out by Lake Jackson. I understand. There you go. That's uh, wildwood ease here on, uh, on Front Row Knowles. Dabo Sweeney said something interesting yesterday, which sort of plays into this. He said he wishes that college teams could play preseason games. Mm-hmm. And then when he went on to further describe it, really what he was describing sounded more like the Jags and Bucks getting together this week and matching up in, in training camp, which plays right into our theory about spring games and making things more interesting. And I'm telling you, that, that in our lifetime, that will happen. Some form of that will Even if it's silly seven-on-seven seven summer drills, something will happen where there are inter-squad things outside of the regular season or the playoffs. No question it will happen because there's a revenue potential to it. And this is college athletics, so at some point they will get to that. But I do like the idea, you know, and, and we were talking before we started here, this is a long camp. There's no two-a-days. It feels like it's longer. And, and I, I think this is the longest one I can ever – it's four full weeks and then game week. And I don't recall it being that long. And, and that's because there's not – there's a limit to how many practices you can Yeah, you have. only have 29 practices, but they backed up the start date to – Because there's no two-a-days. Correct. Yeah, I don't think anybody's doing what's permissible now, which is you can still have two workouts in a day, but the second has to be a walkthrough with no activity whatsoever. I don't know that anybody opted for that. Have you had and no conditioning? Remember, I was a former player. I read the fine line. Yeah, that walkthrough can contain no conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're out there in a walkthrough and coach started to run you. Excuse, Excuse me, me, sir, Mr. Coach. Let's look at page 112 of this NCAA manual. Yeah, could you see someone doing that to Jimbo? Jimbo gets annoyed. Says, "I drop. Give me three gassers, Coach. This is a walkthrough. <laughs> the bylaws don't allow it. Yeah, that's how that goes on the practice field. Has anything stood out to you though thus far? Understanding that really what we're trying to decipher is what Jimbo says two, at, in two, his media. Two things have stood out at me, and this is well. There's no other way to say it other than it being negative. But Jimbo has perfected coach speak. I mean, we got Matthew Thomas, who's evidently had some illness for 19 weeks now. Uh, we got no left uh, tackle. He's gotten better. He said last night he's better now. We got no left tackle. I, I, you know, I guess I guess Aguayo is going to end up playing left tackle for us. Uh, one coach says we got plenty of receivers, and one coach says we don't, and who knows what else. That That's jumped out at me. And number two, this is the greatest football team God's ever assembled because Jimbo hasn't said one negative thing that I've ever heard of. 
So the that, point is, he's been real good in the public speaking. You know, I commented to you, what could Jimbo say right now? Or what could the media witness in the first two periods when they're allowed to watch it of stretching that would make anybody feel good about the offensive line before they play a game? Well, uh, back to my... I mean, I mean there's, there's nothing that can be said right now. I mean, because if you, if you were watching and you're actually scrimmaging and they destroyed the defensive line, the narrative wouldn't be the OL looks good. The narrative would be what in the world is wrong with Josh Sweat and everybody else or whoever. This is why I will never and have never and will not even be considered for the head coaching because I would go back, you know, how they... They go first team offense, first team defense. For you know, when they line up for stretching, however they do. Yeah. I, I would put Aguayo in the left tackle position. <laughs> I mean, those are the things I would do for the two periods that the media. Well, don't got think that on. there's not some tinkering going on. To your point about uh, Jimbo and Matthew Thomas's illness, here's the thing about Jimbo, and he has spoken about it since day one when he talks about player development Jimbo is a player's coach and he will protect his players and this is why he does this and if you've had a chance to have conversation with him he is such an advocate for the players part of the reason that that he can recruit so well a lot of players and I don't know a percentage I don't know a number they're coming from bad family situations they're coming from one parent or no parent households they have been beaten down their entire lives they get to this age and social media will beat you down further and Jimbo's not going to do it publicly. It doesn't mean that during practice he's not going to berate him. He's incredibly tough on him. But even though he knows full well which guy busted her out or missed a block, after the game he doesn't reference that guy by name. He says we had somebody missed a block or somebody and that's why the players like him. So he is not <clears throat> going to come out and say Matthew Thomas <clears throat> excuse me, is not at practice because of A, B, and C. And that's just the world we live in. And, 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 and that, I mean, he is 100% a player's coach in that regard. And that's why I, I tried to preface my comment. There, it's going to sound negative or like I'm, I'm not criticizing Jimbo. I'm acknowledging that he is doing that very thing and that that has value and worth, even though it drives some of us crazy. Well, here's the reality. Had the Thomas situation cleared up in two days, we wouldn't be where we are now with people – raising an eyebrow as they have been for several days it would have gone away and people would have bought that he was actually sick and maybe he was at the start I don't know but I'm just saying that's that Jimbo told me a story one time and it was when he was at LSU and I don't recall if it was an LSU player or not uh, I thought it was maybe a walk-on or something but the, the the basic story was and this more is more in regard to social media it was so negative with this player that he either committed suicide or attempted suicide. And again, it may not have been an LSU player. It may have been a story that of somebody else's player that occurred while he's and and it's one of the reasons that he's anti-social media, uh, j- just because these guys, a lot of them, do not come from a good upbringing. And 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 even if you do, when you read some of the what spews on social media, um, I mean that, that's just where and that's part of the reason why he wants to be so he wants to reinforce and be the positive guy and the, for, for the players because they just don't have a lot of it and i would also say that in in the few private conversations i've had with jimbo and by no means am i his confidant i mean they've been very and you've you've had the off the record private conversations when you have hosted his show in between takes or before you've gotten started he knows what's going on and, and i mean he can identify it and he'll talk about it he just doesn't want it out there and uh, and sometimes it's frustration for those of, frustrating for those of us in the media because we're not getting the the picture. But the overriding theme of protecting the players is what motivates him. You know what motivates me, Keith? What right motivates now? you? Knowing that tomorrow, <clears throat> the four week process of transforming brisket to pastrami will be completed, and the Reuben pizza will return in all its glory to Centrale. Well, let, let's let's let the record show that uh, one night last week, uh, one Kathleen. Cabler Whitaker Jones and one KJ. I thought for a moment you forgot her name. I was like, you got to get this one right, KJ. And one KJ <laughs> went to Centrale for dinner. Ah. And uh, you want to take a guess as to what I got? Uh, Do you remember? Meatball. You exactly. Said, you said you were going to get. Was I got a, the spaghetti and meatball. I, knew you I were did. Gonna... We didn't slurp the noodles like the two dogs in the Disney movie, but uh, we had a very nice night out and it was wonderful. Excellent. And the college kids thought it was old folks' night. There were no college kids in because, remember, there were no college kids There were no college kids around right now. So you had a private uh, dining experience. Almost. Head out to Centrale. Tell them we uh, sent you that way. Hey, we got a good show. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us in a little bit. We'll catch up on what's happening uh, as best we can out on the practice fields and in the world of Florida State Athletics. We're also going to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club, which enters year two with the guy who has uh, been behind the scenes working diligently for several years to bring this to fruition and now improve the experience. 
experience, and that is Jerry Kutch from Seminole Boosters. He joins us next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. A couple weeks ago, we had uh, an insightful conversation about the fan experience with Jason Dennard from the, the athletics department in terms of the new video board, the new tailgate packages that are being offered and the Friday night block party moving down to college town. We're going to uh, talk more about the fan experience right now with a uh, longtime uh, buddy of ours, Jerry Kutz, who is the senior vice president of capital campaigns and projects with Seminole boosters. And as we uh, say hello to Jerry, we welcome him via the Earl Bacon agency hotline, the Earl Bacon agency, ensuring your future together. Jerry, I feel like that title should be Grand Poobah of the Dunlap Champions Club, given what the last three or four years of your life have been uh, like. But how are you doing? I'm doing great, Tom. Good. Year two of the Champions Club uh, set to kick off. I know there's been a lot of talk about, uh, A, how good of an experience it was for those who uh, had seats in there last year, Uh, but B... What you can do to even to, to improve it even further, especially given uh, you know the, all the conversation about the optics of uh, of people not being in their seats and rather being in the club. So I, I'll, I'll leave it there for you to to start on on some of the changes that you guys have made for year two. Well, Tom, I think what we have to do is have a camera inside the club that we display up on the big board so that people can in the stadium can see all the people inside the club having a good time. Well, that, that was no. I mean, I've, people who've been in there, and I've, I'm obviously busy on game days, but I, I, I've been in there before. I mean, you, you guys built it too nice. That, that is part of the problem. <laughs> that's that's the quality problem. I think sometimes think that the club is not successful because our fans are, as you say, enjoying the interior spaces. So the fans in the stands are watching on TV. Don't see that there's four thousand people there, and. uh I think it's a natural thing the first year that your club seat holders buy this experience. And, you know, it's still novelty inside the club. They, they enjoy looking at the spaces and they can see from, you know, uh, on TVs and they can, uh, they can look right through the glass and watch the game. I think a second thing that will happen in addition to the novelty, I think naturally as the club grows, and we get into 2018, we'll be probably at about 80 to 85% of capacity at that point, maybe more. And uh, if people don't sit out in their seats, it's going to be very crowded in there because the interior spaces are not uh, intended to handle uh, more than about 50% of our capacity. So if if you have a sense of feeling crowded, you're going to go find comfortable spaces outside. Does that make sense? Very much so. And, and as many of our listeners being in the business community here in Tallahassee would understand, the perception isn't always as important as what the actual uh, performa is. And by all accounts, you guys have hit your numbers at the sequence you wanted to hit your numbers. So from a financial standpoint, you know, if you had to declare victory today, which which obviously you wouldn't, it's been very, very successful. It has. And, you know, our first year we made a profit. But uh, I think when you look at a profit, there's two, two metrics. One is uh, the cost of the renovation of Doak, $85 million. All of that was borne by revenues generated by the Champions Club. If we parse out $30 million and say, well, that was for bleacher seating sections and had nothing to do with the club, the return on investment on just the club construction is it's very handsome for the first year. So, uh, yeah, we hit the goal the first year. Now, having said that, this year we... Uh, uh, we're we're going to be a little more challenged to hit that number, but we're optimistic we will. The other thing people forget is the number of events that are hosted in the in that project in the in the Champions Club throughout the year. They generate, I think they 
they did 2,700 events within the club last year. Some were as small as a group of four, or eight, and some were, you know, groups of, with over a thousand people. Well, one other aspect of that eighty-five million is you've got another million being uh, finished up upstairs uh, in the Osceola Grill there at this center. Yeah, that's uh, been long overdue. Um, you know, the club is 18, 19 years old now, Osceola Grill, and uh, with all the construction last year, we could we just knew we couldn't get to that, so we scheduled it to be started after the twenty sixteen season, and that's being wrapped up this week. And uh, it uh, takes a, a, a dated structure and changes the decor and makes it uh, feel much more contemporary. And Keith, probably still find a place to put your picture somewhere in there. I, I, I keep looking. I, in fact, I was there yesterday, and uh, I, I looked around. I didn't find a pillar with my name on it, and I didn't find a photograph with my face on it. So I'll, I'll keep looking. I think well, you'll see uh, the Osceola Grill won't have as much of that sports memorabilia uh, feel. It'll be more contemporary. We're going to have a man cave inside there where there'll be a lot of things that are uh, nostalgic, but uh, less so in the, in the rest of it. And then on the fourth floor where you have the sports bar and, and where you mentioned the Pillars of Champions, uh, we'll have a lot of... Uh, We'll use the walls uh, and the entrance there in the coming year or two. We'll start adding those elements, and uh, it'll give you that that feel. Of- well, I'm just hoping my face is at least the third urinal from the left of the number two bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't answer that jerry but let's, let's move the program along you mentioned uh some of the enticements to get people in their seats i, I know you guys uh at seminole boosters have uh, you know you've literally turned over every rock and looked at stadiums all over and talked to experts all over to see what are the options and you've explored uh you know maybe we can put another canopy up maybe it's misters maybe it's uh getting more service to people in their seats so wh- where do we land in terms of what we can expect that'll be different uh, in year two D, all of the above. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to uh, – we're looking at a canopy down the road uh, over that middle section. There's some issues with uh, putting one up there, you know, the upper upper deck uh, or the right outside the Osceola Grill. There were some issues trying to put a roof over that, and uh, I, we came upon it. By the time I came upon a solution we liked, it was uh, – it was too late to do it this year. We may do it down the road, but one of the things I found we liked, um, the New York Yankees are using them in Tampa Stadium and in uh, some of their premium sections, are these high-pressure mm-hmm. cooling misters. And some people go, oh, God, you know, misters, they get me wet and my hair will frizz. Keith doesn't have that problem, but some of us have. A lesser hair. problem, that is for sure. <laughs> but, uh, these are high pressure. I mean, you crank it up to a thousand psi, and uh, it, it it emits a vapor. And uh, you know, we have those stainless steel countertop bar tops, and I had them running the other day for an hour, and there was the countertops were just dry as a bone. So uh, it, they don't spit water at you. It's, uh, it's very thin vapor, and all my construction workers are coming over there sitting in the seats and saying, damn, these things actually work, you know. So, uh, you know, I don't know to what extent they'll work. The company, it depends on the humidity that day. Um, But in high humidity like we get in Tallahassee, Florida, um, they they tell me you can expect 8 degrees change in in how you feel the ambient temperature. And, you know, I've noticed that. Now, with fans... We have fans in the club, so it's not only cooling, but it's blowing that cool air on you, and it can make you feel as the temperature difference can make you feel up to 20 degrees cooler where there's fans blowing the cool air on you. So even if we could get 10 degrees on a 95-degree day, that's a significant difference. Um, so we're, we're hopeful that It'll make the outdoor spaces even more comfortable than they are. Um, 
you know, up there on those terraces, uh, you know, they're covered terraces. And if, if you're in the sun and you come into the shade for a little while, it relieves you. And with the misters, I think it's going to be very refreshing. And I think that's going to help with people wanting to be outside more. Beyond the misters is service. And uh, we feel like in-seat service is something that can be uh, uh, a good thing. And there's there's high-tech uh, in-service and there's uh, old-school. And we're going to employ both this year and see, uh, not rely just on the app and that kind of thing. But what, what we'll do this first year is we'll have servers with handheld in each of the sections, and they'll take your order and bring it to you. We'll also have some of the old school, like, uh, hawkers that will be uh, coming up and down the aisles and uh, giving you uh, some treats that we know that our fans like. For example, popcorn. We didn't serve popcorn last year in the club because it gets very messy. So rather than serve it inside the club this year, we're looking at serving it to people seating in their seats. So people would come down there and just hand it out free because it's inc- you know, food's included in the club seat experience. Ice cream's another one. We uh, we know our fans like ice cream. Inside the club, it was kind of problematic. The, when the ice cream cart would come out, it would be a mob scene. And we think we can manage it better by offering it only in the club seats and, again, with the uh, an attendant uh, in an ice cream box walking down the aisle, handing it out to people on it. Can you steer that cart past the FSU radio booth when it's done in the Champions yeah. Club, by the way? <laughs> I'm asking for Keith. <laughs> it, it, it really it's amazing. You know, the ice cream is, it, it really is. Uh, people people love it. The other thing uh, I was going to tell you, uh, we're working uh, Club Corporation, who's our managing partner. They uh, they've put together something that's really exciting with John Rivers from Four Rivers Barbecue. So uh, we'll have John Rivers uh, serving alongside the Club Corp food. So um, you know it's an all inclusive food package. So when you buy a single game ticket, you come up there. On the east patio, east terrace, John will take over that food pavilion and uh, and offer his cuisine, southern cuisine, to uh, our our seat patrons as well. So, and hey, here's another one you'll like, Keith. Uh, remember Reggie Johnson, our former tight end. Oh yeah, Reggie owns a uh, he's part owner of a of a vodka company that competes with Tito's for organic vodka. It's called Touch. And we've introduced his product into the club. And, you know, we have Bradley sausage, and we feel like people that are coming to the club to see a Florida State football game, 70% of them come from Tampa, Orlando, Atlanta. And when they come back to Tallahassee, you know, they have those memories of things like Bradley's country sausage. So we're trying to be sure we offer a lot of regional foods that our fans can that are nostalgic to them. Well, you get me a silver slipper Pittsburgh steak up there, and you got a water. Oh, man. <laughs> I have to get Dan Whitehurst to come back and Calfus. We could have a silver slipper reunion. We could. Hold we on. Could. Hold on. Our younger audience is having to Google silver slipper right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, we appreciate it, and uh, we appreciate uh, the fact that you guys are supporters of uh, Front Row Knowles. Uh, give us the phone number. I know folks can log on to, to Seminole Booster's website, but uh, for somebody who's interested in, in giving it a test drive, what's yeah, you- they can they can test drive a couple ways. And it, uh, if you don't mind me taking half a second on this. We're going to have the Alabama uh, game on the big screen. So you can come to the Champions Club, sit in the seats, and watch Florida State beat Alabama on the big screen, you know, the high-def board. Of course, it'll be on in the $50 for the public. Uh, anybody who wants to come test drive it, that's an inexpensive way. Phone number is 644-1830, line one. Uh, or like you said, they can go to uh, fsuclubseats.com and they can learn about the game watching party, 
single game tickets as a test drive uh, or come down and look at what season tickets are still available. Excellent. Jerry, thank you as always. We'll be seeing plenty of you as the season gets kicked off here. Okay. Good to see you guys. Take care. (laughs) Jerry Kutz from uh, Seminole Boosters. Who has he really has been? Uh, I mean, it's been his baby for Grand Poobah. I like that title. Grand Poobah, yeah. the Champions Club. Yeah. yeah. I uh, well, never mind. I'll tell you during break. Our listeners may not hear this one, but we'll step aside for the moment on Front Row Knowles. Run Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. I'm going to take us on an aside and start a campaign here, Keith, as we finish up this conversation. We're going to reflect back on that conversation with Jerry about uh, the Champions Club. I will get there eventually. But first and foremost... Can I go get a cup of water? Is that all it's going to be is water? Or are you going to mix in some of that vodka that, that Reggie Johnson's I, I hadn't talked to Reggie in a while, but uh, <laughs> I, may be, I may be hitting him up. <laughs> that was a good little tidbit there. We appreciate Jerry joining us, and, and I will get there. What I'm trying to say is that next year's home schedule is more attractive. And I think when you look at it from the athletic department or the booster standpoint... Uh, and it's not that this year's home schedule is unattractive because you do have Miami coming in and you have... Uh, Louisville coming in and Louisville because of what happened last year became much more of a marquee game but next year you'll have Virginia Tech and Florida and Clemson on the home schedule but the Alabama conversation has dominated so much topic it's a new stadium and you you know when half your season ticket base is four hours away or further Orlando Tampa Miami if you're down there this may be the year that you're saying you know what let's go to Atlanta and go to the Alabama game for the weekend, honey. And you're foregoing, you know, getting into the champions club this year, buying your season tickets. That's just a reality of it. The trade-off is FSU is getting a nice paycheck to play Alabama. Here's where I'm going with this Virginia tech thing before it leaves my mind. There's a certain individual whose number could and should be retired on that Monday night, Labor Day stage next year. And he's a certain individual that caught three touchdowns in a memorable game against Virginia tech in new Orleans and war number nine. Can you see where I'm going with this? I believe I do. Do you think that would resonate well on the national stage if either before the game or at halftime, Peter Warwick was brought back and we gave him a salute? I, I, uh, I like where you're going. Okay. I'm just, I've, I started a social media campaign on this a few months back. It hasn't been a very active campaign, so I'm just diversifying the... Uh, well, and it goes back, and our listeners have heard me say this before, but uh, I, I walked out of the locker room in the dome after that 99 championship game, me and Paul Kennedy and Chris Winkie and Peter Warwick. And uh, Pete and Chris got into a van and were driven to the hotel and Kennedy and I had to walk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are so many stories that sum up your entire, our entire career. Oh, our wonderful, wonderful career. That's, that's one of them. Yep. Did I uh, share my idea for getting fan or getting people in the seats in the Champions Club on the air or only with you after the show? Only with me after the show, I believe. Okay. Well, we have, you know, we have the dignitary Tom Lang here with us, so I'm going to float this idea with here him we go. Here too. And I should have mentioned it to Jerry. Here's how we help with the optics, Tom. We move all the media to the Champions Club. They have to stay in the seats to watch the game. They can't take pictures of what the Champions Club looks like because they're facing the field. Problem solved. Am I right? <laughs> well, especially if they distribute ice cream sandwiches at the seat, yes, problem would be solved. I, you know, I don't know if that's it. When Jerry said D, all of the above, I don't know if he's there. But you well, know. what do we do with the seats on the ninth floor in the <laughs> press box? Well, and, and here's the thing. The media are going to crush me. I'm already outside in the elements, sweating, so I don't have any empathy for you guys that are sitting in the AC covering the game. And, and T Lang, that is one thing for for the last 25 years, 20 years at least, but 25 years. My good friend and partner, Mr. Tom Block, has seen more meteorological events than anybody I've the ever worst, known. The worst one ever was the 2002 Thursday nighter at Louisville. Louisville. Whatever hurricane that was, that the remnants of it that were up in Louisville. I, I, people have heard me say this, and I told you it was pouring in the first quarter. 
and rained harder in the second quarter and harder at halftime, harder still in the third quarter, harder in the fourth quarter. And by the time Rick's threw the interception in overtime, I was ecstatic because I couldn't get any wetter than I was at that point. I, I hear you. I literally threw out my socks and shoes. I didn't pack them and bring them on. They were there was no point. I just tossed them. Anyway, Ooh. enough about me. But that was true. That was for, that was, for, and this for, is for the old. This is why for the old timers. Two thousand and two Louisville at Louisville. Worse, worse than eighty two Pittsburgh in Tallahassee. Or 83, 82 or 83 Pittsburgh. A long time people will remember that wonderful event. This is why when I look at the schedule and I see that we're going to play in a climate-controlled Mercedes-Benz Stadium for game one. Tommy's going, is the roof closed? Is the roof closed? Is the roof closed? Thank God the roof is closed. Actually, I was just in Atlanta this past weekend, by the way, and from my hotel room I took a picture. It's amazing. To, the Georgia Dome is still there. It was supposed to be leveled like months ago, but they left it up because they weren't sure they're going to And it stay. looks puny. It does. It literally is like this and this. I mean, it's, it's twice as you big. You know we're on the radio. They can't see what yes, you but were you, doing. You and Tom can see. It's literally like the Georgia Dome is X and Mercedes-Benz Stadium is 2X. Okay, is that better, Mr. Math Guy over there? No, it's impressive to see. And uh, they've only announced publicly, I think, that the roof is going to stay closed for the first month or so of the Falcon season. What I heard last weekend is that it's pretty much going to be closed all year. Now, I don't know when they're going to announce that, but what their fear is, it's not fear of collapse or something like that. No. They're afraid it gets stuck open. Exactly. So they don't want to open it during the season. So yeah. I, don't, I think the Falcons may be playing in a dome all year long. Well, there we go. All right. We'll come back, talk to ourseminals.com insider Tim Linnefell right after this. <laughs> Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles and time to get back to some Florida State talk as we return to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. And say hello to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Seminoles.com, your place to go. For all the latest uh, from the practice fields and in the world of Florida State Athletics, Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. Traffic, I imagine, is up on Seminoles.com. We're not going to talk extensively about this, but soccer actually kicks off on Friday, right? Is that the first competitive game, actual game of the new sports year for FSU? I I believe it is. They they, they get going as early uh, as anybody, and yeah, Friday night at the Seminole Soccer Complex, it's a regular season Florida State athletic competition, so uh, it's here. Do you know what I saw yesterday? This came through my email, uh, and it's because I was at the College World Series and purchased tickets to the NCAA. So apparently now I'm on the NCAA list. So they're selling tickets to the Women's College Cup. That means Tom has a riven. No, it just means I've got more clutter in my, you know. Okay. Exactly. I shared, I shared my email addressing. And uh, I did not know, Tim, that the, the College Cup is in Orlando this year. And I thought, well, that's a good sign because last time the College Cup was in the state of Florida, FSU won the title. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they got, it's the new uh, Orlando City Stadium, right? The the new uh, the new soccer stadium I, they just opened up. I didn't explore that far. I didn't order tickets. I just got the email and looked at that. But yeah, yeah that would that, would that would make sense. Anyway, you, you, if, if Florida State were to make it there, obviously you think they'd have a, a pretty good uh, pretty good turnout for them as well. That that was my thought as I saw that. I took it as a good sign because normally that thing's in Cary or Texas or California or something. Anyway, football had a scrimmage this week. They have practiced since then. Jimbo still seems pretty upbeat about life in general. Is that your assessment from the inside? Yeah, I think it really is. I think they've had a few pleasant surprise types of guys. I mean, we talked about some on Terry last week, uh, and then the weeks that followed. Uh, you know, I know both myself and a lot of other guys who, who are on the team have, have really been impressed by Hampson Nazaraldine, the, uh, the freshman defensive back. I mean, that guy just he, he looked really, really impressive. Probably the, the biggest defensive back they have that can also really move. Uh, we'll see what his role is going to be. Obviously, Florida State's pretty set at the the big hard hitting safety spot right now uh, with Derwin James. But but the guy, you know, be- between what we've been able to see him do on the field and in the, uh, the limited time that we can watch, and also the way that Jimbo Fisher just sort of raved about him after Sunday's scrimmage, um, yeah, I, I, I think he's going to have a, a part to play this fall. We'll see what he does. You know, 
Jimbo and Charles Kelly, they, they do like to play freshmen. You've seen freshmen play at the, at the star and money spots. Uh, if those guys can make an impact and, and, you know, he seemed like a pretty good bet to, to maybe, you know, play that type of role that we saw and maybe a Nate Andrews or a Jalen Ramsey uh, play when they were freshmen. Can you say his name again for the sake of all of us? I said it really fast so that if I had messed it up. But, but you did, you did it so it. well, though. <laughs> it's one of those, if, you know, when you, when you say it fast, you're not thinking of it. Okay, here we go. Hamsa Nazaruddin. All right, we got, we got to get him a nickname. <laughs> we can practice. Tasmanian yeah, yeah, go, right? devil. Yeah, we got to get him a nickname. Well, that, that was good to hear. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because there's been so little talk, not little talk, there's been a lot of talk about the secondary. There's been little concern about the secondary because they're so deep. So to hear that a true freshman is coming in and making that kind of uh, playing that well with all the guys that are around him, that, that's encouraging. What else uh, sticks out at this point? Well, I, you know, to, to take it back to the receivers, uh, I've been really impressed with those guys. I think they've all, from my estimation, been pretty impressed with this camp. Uh, Keith Gavin, to me, just looks like a, a superstar in the making. And not to say anything, uh, you know, uh, not, not to leave out Nooney or, or Odd and Tate, I think both those guys are going to have really nice years uh, and even could finish ahead of, of Keith, you know, in terms of receptions or yards or touchdowns maybe. But just watching Keith out on the field and just watching the way he moves, watching the way he cracks the ball, um, I mean, he looks really, really good. And we're you know, talking about a guy who, for as, as much sort of buzz as there is around him this fall, he, he's still going into the year looking for his first collegiate catch. So, you know, he's got some steps to take. But the, the difference between him from, say, last year at this time to this year uh, uh, really is remarkable. Um, the way that he, you know, we saw him go one-on-one against some, some smaller uh, defensive backs and guys who, who, you know, just give up some, uh, some inches to him in, in the, on the height chart. And you know, he does what he's supposed to do. He positions his body, he high points the ball, and, and it's really kind of a mismatch in some ways. And so you, know, you look forward to seeing that when it's against uh, you know DBs on another team. So, uh, but, but all those guys I think look really good. Nyquan Murray looks as fast and elusive as ever. Um, Odd and Tate, the same kind of thing with the big body. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I think Florida State fans should be really excited about the receiving core. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how things go. And obviously you're playing a pretty difficult defense uh, in week one. But, but so far all those guys, um, you know, they, they really look impressive. Let me ask you this, and Keith, you weigh in on this too. Was Travis Rudolph a number one receiver or really a college number two? I don't mean what he was for FSU. I mean, in general, his skill set. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. You know, it's funny. When you go back and look at Travis's numbers, you say, oh, well, okay. But like you said, watching him, it, it made you wonder. I, I, to me, I think you, you can have him be your number one, which, which Florida State did last year, and he performed admirably. Um, I'm not sure that... He would be that. I don't. I don't know if, if Travis was still on this team. I don't know if he would be the guy leading them in receptions and, and touchdowns again. I think he would still have a part to play, but but well, I wonder if it would be. That, this is where I'm going. Go ahead, Keith. I was I was going to say he would be a number two in Jimbo's preferred offensive set. All right, and and Bobo and Kermit were not number ones. No, not at all. So now let me they ask you this: when, when you they look, would be number three, when you look at the three guys we're talking about right here, I'm not saying they are right now, but is Nooney a number one? No. He's a number two. Okay, so what's Tate? Uh, Tate's a potential number one, and, and Gavin's what, a potential number right, one. Right, so that's the point. So the, the three guys that are rolling out here this year, you've got two potential number ones and a number two compared to what you could argue was a number two and two number threes. I see your point. I mean, that, that's kind of what... I'm not a math guy, guys. I'm just, uh, I, I'm just, I understand that there's lots of concern about the depth, and I'm not trying to diss the guys that, that are gone. I just think the upside with this trio is really, really good. Well, and and I've said this too, Tim, and I'd be interested in your comment. You know, they're gone, and they're part of our family, and we're going to love them forever. But I still believe, even as seniors, the two departed kids that we've just been talking about still screwed up routes, lined up wrong. At least it appears this group of receivers gets where they need and are supposed to be. I think that's probably fair, especially on the second part. You know, look, I don't want to run down the guys who aren't here, like you said. Um, but but if, you, if you're asking if the overall thrust is, are the receiving receiving core going to be better than it was last year, I, I think it's going to be. And, and hey, real quick on, on Nyquan Murray, you know, the idea that, that he's not a number one or can be a number one. I don't know that I agree with that. I think he absolutely can be. Uh, I know, you, you know, you, you, the idea, if you look at his body as a, as a slot, you, you think of him in sort of peg me shoehorn him into sort of being a slot receiver but no i want yeah. him i want him on the back side linafelt I, I, okay. I want him on the back side so that you can go sideline to sideline if you've got a quarterback that can make those reads well i, I think throws, in, in yeah. terms of in terms of production i think he can absolutely be the number one guy no and but again understand what tom's saying he's not talking about the number one in catches 
but he's the number one guy that you look to, then then you go number two and number three, i.e. slot backside. I, 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 that's what I understood your question to be, Tom. Yeah, I, I just the, the overall point, I didn't get drilled down that deep, Keith, <laughs> in terms of that. I, I just think when you look at those three guys, uh, you, you put them on another team, there's a lot of colleges in America that Nooney would be a number one receiver. And almost all of them, Gavin would be number one and Tate would be number one. And you couldn't say that about Kermit and Bobo. You could argue about Rudolph. He would have been the number one on a lot of teams. That, that, that was the bigger point there. All right, so that, that points us back to what everybody's concerned about. Uh, one offensive question, one defensive question. Since we're on offense, I'll start there. Because everybody I, – I find it really interesting, Tim, that – so we're moving linemen around – and nobody jumps to the conclusion that maybe it's because one guy has really performed better than we thought, so we're going to move this guy back over here. Instead, we go the opposite way, and that means that nobody's working out, so we're just flipping parts and pieces because nothing's working right now. And I'm talking about the fact that Derek Kelly's moved around and, and Rick Leonard's moved around. So where are we on the OL? Well, I think you kind of said it. <laughs> as, as of right now, it's, uh, it's Derek Kelly at left tackle, Rick, Rick Leonard back at right tackle. Um, and, you know, I understand why that kind of makes you a little bit nervous. You, know, you, you play Alabama in two and a half weeks. You'd like to have your, your, your starting five set and know who they are. Um, that said, I, you know, I'd be cautiously optimistic about Derek Kelly. I mean, it's not like he just came out of nowhere. I mean, he was a pretty high-profile recruit, uh, a local kid, had offers from legitimate schools, uh, and was off to a pretty nice start to his career uh, a couple of years ago as a redshirt freshman, and then he got hurt, banged up his knee, and I don't know that he ever got completely right. Uh, over the next year or so. So, uh, you know, if he's fully healthy and, and he can go out and play that position, uh, you know, why not? We'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So uh, my guess is that this is what it's going to be uh, against Alabama. I don't think they're going to shuffle the lineup again. I think that, that the guys who are working uh, with the first-team offensive line, I think that's probably who it's going to be with Kelly at left and, and Leonard at right and Minshew and Dickerson, your guards, and Everly, your center. That's my guess. Uh, you know, it, it, it's obviously fluid, but I think they kind of like what they have right now. I, I think, you know, we've, we've heard Jimbo Fisher praise Derek Kelly and the job he's done, uh, I think, probably more than anybody else who's worked at that spot. Uh, and, again, like I said, when you, when you factor that in with, you know, Derek Kelly's pedigree, his, his, it's, a, it's a brief history, but it is a history uh, in his experience. I think he seems like a pretty good choice. And, you know, uh, a couple of days ago, I, I sort of thought that, you know, it was a surprise that he was working out there, but maybe it shouldn't be a surprise, you know. Yeah, I mean, what, what, just, what I said to Keith earlier in the show is what, what could be said about the offensive line right now that's going to make anybody feel better until they play a game? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, that's that's just where we are. Uh, so let me go to defense, and obviously the guy that's been talked about a lot is Matthew Thomas. So what's what's the latest with uh, with the senior linebacker there? Well, I don't know that I'm going to be able to give an answer that's going to satisfy uh, too many people, but, uh, but Jimbo Fisher did expand a little bit on his status last night, said there's some guys with, uh, with some other things going on, I think was his direct quote, but the, uh, the good news, uh, and I think the overall takeaway from it is that he does expect him to be back. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if there's a timeline on that. I don't know what the, what the situation is beyond that, but I do know that as of, as of now, uh, Jimbo Fisher expects Matthew Thomas to be in the fold uh, at some point. So um, I, I would take him at his word on that. You know, like I said last week, I think he's a little bit more forthcoming than, than he gets credit for. Uh, and so he's maintained all along throughout the last week or so that he has expect him to uh, be on the team, be a part of the defense, and, and you know not have any issues there. So uh, hopefully that's uh, that's what you guys want to hear. <laughs> Tim, one of the things that has dawned on Tom and I, and it, it's going to stay true all the way to the game, we, we're not talking much about Alabama. And, and part of the reason is we don't get any more information out of Alabama than we get out of Florida State. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Wonder why that is. <laughs> I, I, was, I think that'll change. You know, it's it's not quite game week. We're still, you know, as much as we would like to transition to, uh, you know, the, the the game week type of stuff. Uh, I think in the next week or two there'll be a little bit more Alabama, and you'll start to be, uh, I think, inundated with Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban stories uh, about their time together and their influence on each other, and on and on and on. You'll you'll get plenty of that before long. I'm pretty confident. For me, you know, the uh, the alumni association's annual kickoff luncheon is next Friday. And once that event happens, you're into game week, and that's when it becomes palpable and close. And we're through talking about camp and all that sort of thing. That's just me. Cool. No, I, uh, I I agree completely. That's uh, you, you kind of see guys in their uniforms, you know, and, and see some uh, some people that, that that you haven't seen in a while. And you know, you have uh, Gene introduce the team. I, I agree with you that. And then that, that first Monday of classes, that's when it's sort of really to me feels like football season it'll be here pretty shortly and the other thing's interesting about the the kickoff luncheon is 
normally by then you've got X number of kids in cast, on crutches, arms in a sling. And you, and to be fair, although there's been kids held out, this has been a fairly... You better start knocking on something, KJ. Yeah, this has been a fairly injury-free camp. Yeah, no, absolutely. A few, you know, I mean, a few things here and there. I think they've been pretty cautious with some guys as far as putting putting players in blue jerseys, whereas maybe in the past they wouldn't have, and giving guys a day off, whereas maybe in the past they wouldn't have, and just just kind of making sure everything's right. But uh, but yeah, no, they've been like you said, knock on wood. There's still you know several practices left, but everybody's come out you know seemingly relatively unscathed so far. Here's the last question for you, Tim, and you may have already seen the answer because if you were on Twitter, I retweeted it last night. Did you see the info about beer taps in the new stadium in Atlanta? I did, actually. I did see that. Uh, I don't remember the exact number. It's something stupid. Well, like well just for our listeners, here, here it is. The Buc- st- buckle up. Yeah, the stat of the day here, and I think the media had a tour of the facility yesterday is why a lot of this is out. The Georgia Dome had 30 beer taps, and probably still does because it's still standing. The Mercedes-Benz Stadium has 1,264. <laughs> To, wow. which, to which I inquired, are how any, many are on the field? How many are on the sideline? And another media member from uh, Alabama actually responded, or what about the press box? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are the important questions. More than anything, I really am surprised that the, uh, the Georgia Dome only had 30. I would have guessed a lot more than that. Uh, that is kind of surprising. But, you know, it goes to show that was built in the early 90s. We're in a different era now. And uh, the only disappointing thing is that all the, uh, the, the image they showed was all blue moon taps yeah which, i did see that I did yeah see that. it doesn't so, uh, that doesn't excite anybody so hang on i so, beg your so, pardon well so how, how you many you bring your orange wedges on? that you saved from your soccer practice when you were a kid and you can put them in your beer keith go ahead tim uh, 1,264 so how many steps how many what's the maximum number of steps you can take between one beer tap and the next beer tap well that's going to require some investigative work. Uh, if they'll let us into the stadium, we can we can inquire and, and try to figure I mean, that I out. Know, I know it's a big place, but you know, good grief. There's, they're going to be closer together than Well, what it makes me wonder is, you know, are there suites that come with their own beer tap? You know, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. No, the right. It's just a jarring. It wouldn't matter. We're talking beer taps, but it could be anything. If it went from 30 in one stadium to whether 30 bathrooms to 1,200, whatever it is, it's a big jump. Yeah, yeah. All right. They also have a really cool school scoreboard, as we all know, that I'm looking forward to seeing. Tim, we'll let you go now. We're done babbling. I appreciate it, guys. We'll see you. See you, Tim. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. It sounds to me like he should talk to Elliot and see if he can go get the answer to that question about how many steps between beer taps, right? You want to do that job yourself? Okay, I got you. Hey, if you've, speaking of do-it-yourself projects, Keith, professional segue, Go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Faster to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Why are you still giggling over there? I just It's just funny. You can visit them online at ctf.nu or call them at 580-1200. We, we actually get paid to do this stuff. I know. And we... <laughs> Another five minutes of it coming up. Oh, it's another, a hard day at the office here on Front Row. Another $3 in my pocketbook. <laughs> <laughs> Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles so that Keith can pocket a few more coins. KJ, four or five minutes left. What See, five we... minutes, $3. That's 20 times three, 60 bucks. Uh, that's a dollar. Whatever. What have we missed so far today? Uh, again, what's dawned on me is we haven't said very much about Alabama, and then it's re-dawned on me that we're not probably going to because we don't get a lot of information. Well, here's one that, that you know what happens on Monday. Now, most of the polls are already out. Coaches have Alabama 1, Florida State 3. Sports Illustrated is Alabama 1, Florida State 2. The AP poll uh, comes out on Monday. So next time we talk... We will know. Is it truly one verse two there? But regardless, it is going down as it the all, goat. It already it already is because the previous highest was a one versus four to kick off the Correct. season. Correct. So it's sort of when the narrative, you know, months ago started as if this might be that game. I think it kind of steered itself that way. But I would, I am interested to see. 
I don't know if Florida State. I think they'll probably be three in the AP because there's a lot of love for Ohio State. I don't know. Not that it. Not it really matters. You're playing number one, so yeah, who cares? One of the things interesting to me, though, however, to however, King's English, is as badly as Clemson beat Ohio State, there's still a lot of love for the Buckeyes in that number two slot, and uh, that's that's somewhat surprising to me. Well. And that the Big Ten overall did not have a great bowl season after all, there was all that hype there. I mean, that, that's a fair question. It has to do with recruiting rankings, really. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, it's been Alabama, Ohio State, and Florida State have been the top three for years after years. So if you stockpile that many good players, that's what the assumption is. Well, it all makes for interesting conversation. Are you one of those that wishes that and, and, and would decree that the polls not come out until after the third or fourth week? Um. It's just not reality, so I don't know that I ever thought that was going to happen. I do think we still get hung up on, you know, and I've never been a poll voter, but people get vilified. So, I mean, what what has happened historically for years, if a team number ranked number 10 and number 9 loses, number 10 moves up to number 9, and it's kind of always gone that way. So now when media look at it and say, you know, after further review, team number 10, I think they actually look more like team number 13. Then they get kind of vilified for doing that. There's just this natural pecking order. I think it's all about selling magazines and getting clicks and and it's all about conversation. Center. It's all about conversation, uh, and I would agree. And that's why I, I, I don't mind it. That's and that's why I do like. I was an advocate of getting to a playoff where we can actually decide it on the field. And stuff. I've never liked the beauty contest aspect to it. Yep. So I still think eight teams is going to be sooner as opposed to later. But I don't think. I don't think 2024 is the magic date. I think it could happen before then. We'll see. I mean, when the TV contracts come up. No, I think it can be done before that. Well, the TV It'll con- be something you didn't anticipate. Maybe, but the TV contracts get negotiated four and five years out. I think on that front, like ESPN's got to get the ACC network off the ground, and we'll get in the 2019-2020 stage. Maybe we'll have an answer on what their streaming services look like. We'll know if they're still hemorrhaging dollars or if the situation has worked itself out, and then we'll start – you know, if they are hemorrhaging dollars, that's going to be more of a reason to get to eight, though, because that'll be more dollars. Agreed. You know what I mean? That that will actually speed that case. All right. Uh, enough about that. Keith? Sir? We'll be back at it next week. 52 if, days, 52 weeks. It's not 52 days until I see you next week, but it is 52 weeks in a year. He's Keith. I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles. Yeah, you're my baby, yeah.